Backlog Dialogues, the podcast where we take you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Scrooge and Merlin to Mike Hyrie. This is a really uncomfortable combination of old men and young girls. I'm Jared. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, well, let's let's be upfront here. It's this episode is going to be more or less about Scrooge. So, uh, yeah. Who are you? Anyway. I'm Matt. <laughs> to be fair, on my whole argument, neither of them actually run into the other character, so. This is true. Like, <laughs> they're all kind of, like, very separate in this very quick stop to Radiant Garden that we're going to be making with Aqua today. Aqua might have the kind of weirdest, choppiest experience here. Let's get into it. We're, I, I'm going to say up front, this is probably going to be a short episode if we don't just, like, riff on a lot of things. So we'll try to find a few <laughs> things here and there. <laughs> oh, you're giving permission then. I am not only giving permission... I am requesting it. There is not a lot here. (laughs) (laughs) I know this is what you've been waiting for for the longest time. An episode where you can just like talk about Scrooge McDuck for 30 minutes. (laughs) All right. So anyways, he was created by Carl Barks back in. I'd have to look up the year. (laughs) Hold up on that thought. Yeah. Let's get started first. Aqua arrives in Radiant Garden and immediately sees Scrooge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're there. (laughs) We're there. It wasn't a long wait. (laughs) And Scrooge... For once in his old age, decides not to be crotchety. I mean, I mean Aqua's, Aqua's pretty polite. And yeah, would, like Aqua comes up to you, just politely says, hey, how's it going? I, I think even Scrooge would be just like, yeah, yeah. He'll respond to politeness with politeness. They're not asking for something. Oh, yes. What a polite lass. Uh, I can't do a Scrooge McDuck voice. I thought I could try, but I can't. Uh, no, great. Now I, got the, now I got the John Oliver joke in my head. <laughs> you know, Scottish, the accent you think you do, but you can't. Yep. yep. It's it's very difficult to do Scottish. I like the Scots a lot, so I'm not going to even try doing a Scottish accent. <laughs> yeah, I I have come to be fond of the Scots, so. It is fun because Scrooge has indicated, if you recall, in other lines that he knows about other worlds. We already oh, yeah. know that, though he doesn't address Aqua with it. <laughs> yep. Aqua asks if he's seen someone from not around here, and Scrooge is just like, oh, are you talking about Ven? Even though she's talking about Tara. <laughs> Neither Aqua or Scrooge manage to say a single name to each other. So it's true, all very true. true. <laughs> so he sends Aqua off on the path that Ven went, even though Aqua is looking for Tara, which would be the exact opposite direction. I mean, Aqua's description is a boy who's not from around here. She, she's just lucky she didn't just run in on poor Lee and annoy him for no reason. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, gosh, like, I, now I'm just imagining, like, maybe Scrooge did run into Lee and Isa before he ran into Ven at some point. Yes, he has Lee if he wanted to merchandise his little frisbees. <laughs> there has to be a place where Lee found out about the sea salt ice cream, and we know that Scrooge is sort of responsible for that based on Kingdom Hearts 2, so... Well, he recreated something he had once. Sure. So, Scrooge initially made the sea salt ice cream in Radiant Garden... And that's why Axel, as Lee, remembers it and tries to keep picking it up in Twilight Town. Scrooge managed to get some sort of distribution deal with Diz, I suppose. Oh, no. He certainly <laughs> loved it. Gosh, that's that's not a good thought now. Oh, no. <laughs> Scrooge will work with a lot of people in order to make a buck. Except in his worst moments, Scrooge never like deliberately cheats someone, but he just sort of pressures you saying, no, really, this is the best option. And the only one he ever feels like he's going to short stick is Donald because he can. <laughs> yeah, I think this is probably the best time we're going to get. So let's just ruin about Scrooge for a while. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. 
It, I mean, I'm glad to go into the full ridiculous uh, history of it because Scrooge is another one of those cases of a one-shot villain that became so popular he basically took over everything. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Tell me more about the book of Scrooge McDuck. Well, as I said, I'm going to go into Carl Barks here. He did all the Disney comics basically from – I can't even remember what year frame, but like from the – I want to say like from the uh, 40s through the 80s. The man was a machine. To the point that I recently started, you know, like looking at collecting a lot of these. Uh, there's a new omnibus collection of Carl Barks comics right now that is that is currently being published by Fantagraphics, and they're up to volume twenty-seven. What? They're they're up to volume twenty-seven. How big of volumes are these? They're two hundred pages each, full color meticulously restored and wow. i think they're going to do like a at least like 20 more or something like that it's yeah. crazy the man was incredibly prolific yeah wow. he, he worked for at least 20 active years so most of it no one even knew who he was he actually stayed deliberately anonymous oh wow but that's also much of that was true for much of disney the donald duck comics were wildly popular from what i understand as well there's several overseas countries. I can't remember which ones where they're so popular they eclipse almost anything else. Oh, really? Like you actually got some extra series and comics out there. I want to say Sweden, but I'm probably wrong. I actually would not be but, surprised. Like I, I don't know why I have this memory. Like as soon as you said Sweden, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I visited Sweden when I was like seven years old, and I remember for whatever reason I have this memory in my mind of Donald Duck being popular there. Or sorry, when I was a kid, my favorite movie of Disney was the three caballeros, which was Donald duck and having an adventure in Mexico with two Mexican friends, which is funny because that's the second movie with those characters. What was the first movie with those characters? The first one was, um, shoot. I'm, I'm definitely getting the name wrong here. Let's see. Saludos amigos. Okay. But it was, that one was basically a set of shorts, which both, which first included a pistoles and, and Jose Caraco, I am so showing off my knowing my names here. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> yeah. So I believe it just may have just been Jose Caraco at the start there, and then they create three Caballeros, and both of them are very much travelogue movies. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of funny. It's Caballeros and Amigos are very much movies showing a lot of like live action of Mexico and other regions of the uh, of Central and South America. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting one. I kind of liked it because of that. I think it maybe influenced me to like, you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit a little bit later because I like that kind of like combination animated live action sort of deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I want to go back. That was, I want to say a bit more about Barks and Scrooge's origin, which I find oh, ridiculously yeah. funny. I got to ask real quick, like, um, was Scrooge invented for specifically a Christmas Carol riff because of the original uh, whatever uh, Ebenezer Scrooge? Or was Scrooge created before they did the Christmas Carol riff and then they're like, oh, wait, we can use Scrooge for our Christmas Carol riff. Scrooge existed before the actual Christmas Carol movie. He was first created in 47. Okay. Now, now the character was deliberately based on uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, of course. I've actually heard that he was in part based on uh, figures like Andrew Carnegie as well. As he started building out Scrooge, he kind of gave him a bunch of capitalists and occasionally robber baron traits, which kind of started clashing with each other. And that's mm-hmm. where you're, the omnibus I know you did buy, Lifetime with Scrooge McDuck, works to yeah. fix. But in the, the original story is almost ludicrous. It is It does take place on Christmas. Okay. And you just have angry old Scrooge, this bearded guy wearing a robe and glowering at how much he hates the world. 
decides to fuck with his nephew by by going over to his house and then putting a bear in the cabin. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, this is I'm a real comic. I'm exaggerating. He actually planned to have his servant dress up as a bear, but actual bears showed up. So Scrooge, who misses most of it, Donald gets knocked out. He sees Donald sleeping with the bear. Relax, like, this is the bravest duck I've ever seen. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and so he said, even though he was just like, he literally was like, his original line was, here I sit in this big lonely dump waiting for Christmas to pass. Bah, that silly season when everyone loves everyone else. A curse on it. Me, I'm different. Everybody hates me and I hate everybody. <laughs> so he so was he, the he picture was, of an they, ornery duck. They, they called it Christmas on Bear Mountain to deliberately sound like Night on Bald Mountain for God's sake. Oh, wow. no. Wow. Then okay. a year later, he brought him back for more weird stories. Like he had, like he's the rich character who recruit the characters to have an adventure. It just keeps going from there. So what? What I'm hearing then is like the whole uh, adventurer persona of Scrooge, like was fairly early on as part of his character. Well, he's at the first. He's guys saying, "Well, I had did something this twenty years ago. Can you go to that place and find it?" There was a lot of stories okay. like that. Okay, so he's. More of a financier than he is the adventurer himself. But he often talks about his ridiculous past, like the, like right. the positive Mr. Burns from Simpson. Always, you, you basically know anything about him. You could believe he did it. Yeah, or, you know, or, you know, he could rocket house it. Got it. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past Scrooge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I can't make that reference yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it just became then it just became consistent that basically anything ludicrous and they just started having the adventures get bigger and kind of just goes from there is my understanding basically by the 50s scrooge is openly usurping donald as the main character of the strip so yeah okay <laughs> from what i understand like eventually he became like a proto indiana jones he kind of did that before indiana jones even became well, a I thing mean, well do you know do you know i don't know the exact characters that like indiana jones is like Indiana Jones is sort of like a revival of character tropes, right? Right, but do you know the Temple and Boulder scene is lifted from a Scrooge McDuck cartoon? Nice <laughs> comic. Nice. There actually is a version with the with the idol on the pressure gauge with the rock falling at him, and wow. And you're serious in saying the Scrooge McDuck version came first? Yes, I mean. <laughs> I can't remember if it's simply Scrooge or Donald because they're kind of both the same so, story at that point. I gotta ask though. At this point, like that adventurer thing is probably already a bit of a car- uh, cultural touchstone of a trope. So does mm. that trope exist before Scrooge? I mean, very much so. Scrooge is already like it, we're, t- we're in the 50s. Scrooge has become a pulp adventure. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it probably comes hell. from that sort of pulp stuff. And and the guy who put together some of the collections says that he actually had interviews with George Lucas who acknowledged that he, Lucas acknowledged he was a fan of Barks. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Like, actually, just as, as an aside, one of the reasons I originally got interested in the Carl Barks uh, Donald Duck comics was because I was a big fan of Mythbusters uh, for a long time. Oh, yeah. And there was one Mythbusters episode where they decided to... They, they heard a myth that was we, you can salvage a ship on the bottom of the sea by filling it with ping pong balls. And, you know, they went and did it and, you know, it worked. It was weird, but it worked. And then the researchers went and found back that this myth came lifted directly out of a Donald Duck comic where it wow. worked for him, too. 
Well, it's because in 1964, they actually did it. And the Donald Duck, the guy actually tried to patent it. It's like, no, there's here's here's previous illustrations in a fucking comic strip. Oh, that's 15 amazing. Before. Holy this shit. Was, no, no, this was in the <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, other things. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, like ignore Marx's successor Don Rosa, who, if not the mold breaker, was, was an amazing follower along in the path and making things still as solid. Okay. Yeah. So, so my understanding of Don Rosa and his contribution here for to Scrooge McDuck specifically is that Carl Barks made like a bunch of isolated stories. Like uh, mm-hmm. Barks's format were these little, like, you know, five to ten page mm-hmm. little uh, comics that, what, you'd buy for a nickel in the store or something like that? I mean, the characters and, would be introduced and reused, and they would do mm-hmm. things like this, like, they would get the little asterisks, like, see, Duck's number five for the adventure, but he was very relaxed on the continuity. Yeah, yeah. So so Carl Barks did a lot of those, and it, it they were, you know, not quite, you know, everything's back to normal at the end of the comic, but, you know, they didn't he was not a stickler for continuity because he was reusing these characters in these little, mm-hmm. uh, you know, five to ten, maybe yeah. 20 page comics at most. Like at most and, like a character like, let's say, Magic of the Spell would mention her previous adventures. Like she didn't actually have magic. She had magic artifacts. So mm-hmm. like she mentioned, like last time I, 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 I turned gravity sideways, but I, I'm not going to make that mistake this time. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So Scrooge was such a popular character that Don Rosa decided, you know what, I'm going to take all of these things that Carl Barks did and try to make like a full continuity out of it. And okay. he made this comic called this huge comic. It's like several hundred pages called The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck. And it is infamously good. Like mm-hmm. from what I understand, like that oh, yeah. when you're talking about American comics, uh, you know, that like single works of American comics, like The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck gets brought up. Uh, like alongside the Watchmen for best, you know, work of American comics ever. You know what? I bag and blow your minds one more. Please do. Please guess an influential artist who was directly influenced by Carl Barks' work by, and was a fan of him. Neil Gaiman? Are they? Are we talking American artists or uh, are we including like uh, Asia or? We're, we're, I'm including other countries. That's what I'll say. I I'm going to guess that uh, you're going to mention that somebody like uh, Tezuka or something like that was influenced yep. by Barks. Osamu Tezuka, father of manga, was influenced by Scrooge McDuck. Wow. Create their great comics. What I understand about Osamu Tezuka is that he like started working on uh, manga after seeing Fantasia, as I recall. Mm. Yeah, uh, he was he, very I influenced see, by Disney in general. Yeah, yeah that influence, my understanding is apparently his inspiration for the format of the comics was the uh, duck cartoon the duck okay okay got it interesting and he and he uh, he apparently was very open that he was a big fan and they inspired his work on on the on like the comic strip style and so forth so yeah disney in general but even more so just this one thing so what you're saying like i'm just picturing that one increasing scales of dominoes memes where you have a tiny meme of barks makes makes scrooge duck as a uncle for donald duck and then the big domino is Gren Lagan throwing galaxies at uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, It's because, possible because, that it's a direct sequence of events, yes. Well, I mean, because Osama Tezuka created every genre of manga that we have. Like, yeah. that, that guy was super prolific. And so, like, and that in turn makes anime as varied as it is, which allows you to have giant robots throwing galaxies at each other. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they trace it like Suzuka's one of his first work, New Treasure Island, was probably influenced by Donald Duck finds pirate gold. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a so it's a Rosa. I have read Life and Time of Scrooge McDuck. It's twelve long form comics. I think they're all in like the twenty to forty page length. I could I'd have to look it up. Maybe a little shorter. With a whole bunch of extra stories, some were written as supplements. Some are selected from Rosa and Barks' archives as being connected to it. Basically, Rosa, and in at least one of the first versions, he wrote long, descriptive, here's how I did it, about what which parts were the hardest to do. Like how he had to decide where not to skip incredibly no longer appropriate elements that don't fit anymore or find a way to make them fit. No, he always found a way to make it fit. One of the most interesting things about the life and times of Scrooge McDuck and Don Rosa, his style in general, is that, you know, he actually had a very diverse style. Like, you know, like it's definitely identifiable as Disney Donald Duck. But then every so often you have a frame like you showed me that creek frame where where Scrooge is, is chained up to this, the, the smokestacks. He's hulking out with Samson at the same time. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's got this it's got this amazing deep shading. Like Rosa like Barks drew in a very like primary color style with limited shading. Rosa was very much on dramatic colorings or changing the he likes to do dramatic panels like where he changes everything to yellow or white to change the effect. That panel really looks like it's something out of the Incredible Hulk. It's amazing. Oh, it is just like I said. It, it, you 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 won't believe a duck can be that terrifying without saying a word. <laughs> yeah, and so I guess it's uh, we can say that Scrooge McDuck is almost like a mimetic level badass in his. Oh youth. yeah, and and essentially as he get as he's older, he's, in Ducktales and this, he's slowed down a little bit, but he will still like whip your ass with a cane if you mess with him. Especially, it's a Ducktales like Barks. I think it was either Barks or Rose. Always joked they assumed the original '80s Ducktales was a cartoon written about Scrooge in his universe. So it's all exaggerated. That mm-hmm. and the new one is so clearly influenced that it uses multiple covers for both of them. Like in art in Scrooge's house is just blatantly specialized covers of like Scrooge and hero poses or similar things. So what what did you say Scrooge's? Uh you know, I guess original motto from the from when he started becoming, I guess, Isn't more of a hero was than the we, toughies and smarter than the smarties. It's a, he's, than the sharpies. Yeah, sharper than the sharpies. That's right. And it's a, I said, I made my fortune of being tougher than the toughies, smarter than the smarties, and sharper than the sharpies. And I made it square. Hmm. Yep. He's very much an idealized uh, billionaire. So while he, while he does some messed up stuff, he is genuinely self-made. Yeah. Because uh, from what I understand, he actually started out being, uh, you know, his legend is that he started out from being poor. And the lucky dime is the first dime he ever made as a kid by yeah, selling but, something. But don't tell but don't tell him it's like I said if you go outside his ducktails, don't tell him it's lucky. He'll he'll get irritated. It's like that's bullshit. That time was I was cheated by being given the American dime in Scotland. And then I made my <laughs> fortune by working for 60 freaking years. <laughs> he keeps it he keeps it as a reminder that that's why he needs to be sharper because the story actually had to be his dad got someone to be his first boot shining job mm-hmm. like, so why did you why did you give him that why did you give him that forward coin so he remembers that people <laughs> people can still cheat him it's like oh no it worked too well that's so <laughs> i gotta i gotta ask how old is scrooge 
Oh God. Um, <laughs> do you want the an- do you want the answer from Life and Times or give me the answer like as our what be what would be considered the current generalized canon? Oof. Well, let me put it this way: in the Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck, he was ten years old in eighteen seventy seven. Oh, geez. If you recall, in the new DuckTales, he's mentioned that he's had various life extensions through random accidents, fountains of youth, uh, time time was being frozen in a uh, glacier for 10 years. So, yeah, good luck. So, the question is, who knows? It's actually kind of funny here because now I'm realizing that all of this meshes extremely well with our ducks are from Final Fantasy. Uh, oh, yes. Theory, because yes. all the all the crap Scrooge gets up to does make him sound like a Final Fantasy character. Oh, you know? yeah. And it, it totally he, makes sense that if Donald is related to him, of course he's a really powerful mage. He's 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 related say, to Scrooge. Well, by the way, Honestly, no. You know, you, no, the character that I kind of relate Scrooge most to from Final Fantasy is probably Jekt, considering he's the <laughs> way more badass adventurer that went on all these adventures beforehand. Yes. By the way, apparently in the new cartoon continuity, at one point they didn't mention he was born in 67, so he's over 150. <laughs> in that cartoon there we go nice well he said they did explicitly say he hasn't aged at certain times for certain reasons in bark's own official rosa and bark's official timeline they assumed he would live to 100 oh boy mm-hmm. yeah that was proven false <laughs> well, that was their official timeline he would live till 1967 oh boy you know, I was just reading some of these these comics with Donald Duck and Scrooge that I that I got from Carl Barks. And it's just I understand why these are popular. These were way ahead of their time and they hold up, you know, like you can, you know, there's there's a few like, I guess, anachronisms and stuff like that. And, you know, like Donald might punish the nephews in a way we might look at as being a little bit too much nowadays. But for the most part, they just absolutely hold up there. They're very relatable problems. And, you know, Donald gets mad at the nephews for causing trouble and, and all sorts of things. And like you, you go in crazy directions from there with all these strange characters. Like I, I didn't even realize that gyro was a Carl Barks character. I thought that was a, uh, something that was made for DuckTales, but no, all these characters are, are basically right out of Carl Barks. Yeah. Nice. I, I even left off the fact that they did inception before inception. Oh wow! But you'll, get, but you'll get there in that you'll get there in that volume you're reading, uh, Matt. Mm. So, okay, I think that's probably enough, right? Yeah, we probably should get back to Kingdom Hearts. I think we've been doing this for twenty minutes. I yep. feel like I feel like I just paused the game and go off to read a comic for a while. I'm just back there. <laughs> I've done that Continue quit. I do that frequently. Okay, yes. so yeah. Anyway, uh, at the castle gates uh, in Radiant Garden. Uh, nice segue completely smooth. Uh, Aqua sees a small girl being assaulted by the unverse because this is Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep and we've been talking there, for too long. There was a cutscene nearby. Yep. Well, I actually, I think these unverse might be attacking because we started talking about Scrooge. Oh, shit. We've, we've broken time. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Aqua apparently decides how she feels light from the girl. Would oh, yeah. Aqua would help anyways. Yeah, true. Like, say for a moment that Aqua sees a little girl that is just, like, stinky with darkness. Completely filthy. Uh, <laughs> what did you What did you still hope that you would jump in and help? Uh, pig pen from Peanuts is only darkness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she talks to Riku later, so... Oh, true. So, like, 
but Riku isn't doesn't have that funk on him yet. <laughs> well, I mean, she I will say where I'm cutting ahead. She takes a look at him and tells Sora, keep this one out of trouble. True, true. She gets a whiff. But well, later. I, I mostly was snarking. She kind of jumps in. Then, no, she sees life from the senses life from the true, true, true. Yeah. Part. Like she decides that she can't fight while protecting. And that gives Mickey an opportunity to show up and be helpful. Yeah. Aqua didn't even have to lose the boss fight first. Yeah. This was so much the Mickey once mooring. Mickey shows up to fight, which helps Aqua get away. And so Aqua is just like, stay right here. I got to help out that mouse because that mouse is badass. It's like, why do you have a key? But Mickey says, there's no time for that. Yep. There's no time for that. <laughs> no time for that. Ha-ha. I'll, I'll explain later. Yeah, one easy unverse fight later. It, we have our nice little introduction. The discussion turns to that little light-filled girl. So how do you identify light, actually? I got to ask this. Like, we know darkness has a smell. How do you identify that someone is filled with light? Because your pupils contract, of course. <laughs> That doesn't seem to be the case here. They they smell they they smell like the uh like a spring meadow type detergent with the fresh with the with the fresh result solvent of pine. Yep. But you don't <laughs> say it because that's creepy. <laughs> well, remember, Nami they smelled like Kyrie. Well, no, I mean that's just Riku's fault because Riku is like Riku goes into the whole thing and not doesn't like realize that he's not supposed to talk about this. And so and it still means to identify. My understanding is nominated. Riku really basically happen. goes feral for a while. <laughs> oh no. Oh god, what did he oh god, what if he had to relieve himself in Castle Oblivion? <laughs> I mean, we never see characters in fiction t- going to the bathroom unless they decide it's really, really important to show us this character's going to the bathroom. So <laughs> maybe he did and is just off screen. I'm just imagining what the bathrooms in Castle Oblivion are like. Oh, I'm just imagining like pitch black. Uh, pitch black. That's what they are. <laughs> Zexia went there. He could. He was never able to find the, the light switch again. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining somebody like Zexia and just or just ambushing somebody when they're going to the bathroom. Well, we're not. We're not actually real, so we don't actually move. Yes. Anyway, so yeah, Mickey finds this has gone dark places. Dark. <laughs> Mickey finds this uh, very refreshingly scented, light-filled girl pretty extraordinary. <laughs> but then his star shard just sends him flying away because we can't have Mickey around for too long. He literally says, let's join forces, and immediately the pen's like, nope. He's like, oh, no. Meet. <laughs> See you real soon. He actually says it, by the way. Yes. See you real soon. <laughs> That's what you get when you entrust your fate to a Kirby Warp Star. Mickey's right. coming close to being some sort of like a uh, narrative random encounter at this point. <laughs> yes. You're walking along the road and a mouse appears in front of you. He says five words and then rockets off to the distance. You're left very confused. <laughs> Did I get any XP for that encounter? No, no, it's just a thing that happens. I'm sorry. No, but your, but your, your deck capacity went up. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, the little girl offers Aqua some flowers and she introduces herself as Kyrie. Yay. You probably should have guessed this already. Yeah. yeah. So I guess here's the like, I guess, one question now that is that becomes important. How does Kyrie get from Radiant Garden to to Destiny Islands? I think that was kind of explained. Like, um, I think the timeline was when uh, Radiant Garden fell. She got sent to Destiny Islands somehow. 
I the think stuff. they actually imply she followed one of the paths Xehanort cut through the place. Oh yeah, um, like, like her soul, like basically her heart followed it because it was because of course her heart was too strong to be swallowed by darkness, so right. she ended up there. Remember, she washes up one day. So does that mean that everybody who is on Destiny Islands is more or less a refugee from another world, almost kind of like Traverse Town? Not no. quite, but we will see in later games that um, Destiny Islands has. What more important character that hails from there? Well, we already know one who talked about being his hometown. True. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the extent of that is pretty important, is all I'm saying. Kyrie um, is a unique refugee who went to a different place, is definitely the strong impression we're given. Yeah, yeah. Like how she ended up at Destiny Islands is unclear, but it. We have yeah. guesses. We have guesses. Aqua's about to get some extra information from Kyrie, but then there's no time for that. Grandma's here. <laughs> I think Aqua just kind of awkwardly backs off. Yeah, she's just like, I'm just going to cast a spell to protect you when you're in danger. Yeah, the light within so, you will lead to the light of another. Try not, to, try not to go into some other guy's heart. That'll make things really weird for everyone, including yeah. at least two extra people will be created. Yeah, I have in my notes, young Kyrie's face is really pudgy, which is kind of judgy of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, young kids often have that effect, so. Yeah, yeah. They also, they draw her face very, I'm going to say the best word I can think of is short compared to adults. Like they kind of make her yeah. look younger by having her face be a lot More shorter round. from like chin, uh, like from chin to forehead. Yep. And so Kyrie asks grandma for that old story again, and we get a voice acted version of it, which I don't remember if we got in Kingdom Hearts 1. But yeah, I don't. I don't think it was voice acting. We got oh, the idea of the story. I don't think we got this version of it. No, we heard the story from the grandmother. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it was definitely text only. All right. I'm going to. So, yeah, this is going to be a short episode. I want to say some things uh, more. Um, so I want to try and do an old lady voice and I'm going to try and read this off. Mm. Long ago, people lived in peace, bathed in the warmth of light. Everyone loved the light and people began to fight over it. They wanted to keep it for themselves, and darkness was born in their hearts. The darkness spread, swallowing the light in many people's hearts. It covered everything, and the world disappeared. But small fragments of light survived in the hearts of children. With these fragments of light, children rebuilt the lost world. It's the world we live in now, but the true light sleeps deep within the darkness. That's why the worlds are still scattered, divided from each other. But someday, a door to the innermost darkness will open, and the true light will return. So listen, child. Even in the deepest darkness, there will always be a light to guide you. Believe in the light, and the darkness will never defeat you. Your heart will shine with its power and push the darkness away. Boy, that's really so, hard to maintain. I'm sorry yeah. for dropping in I don't want to be cruel, but... You turned into the Lucky Charms leprechaun half. I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I sensed it. I sensed it as soon as it happened. It's really tough to maintain that voice. So, regardless, I think this little this little legend is kind of interesting because it's got two things, or at least two things that we that are that jump out at me. One is that clearly this is a legend about the Keyblade War. It is it, like we get that that impression is much more clear now. Um, and Dream like, Drop Distance says it pretty explicitly at the start. I've only just begun as at this point. Yeah, like we still had the story just sort of like as a justification of what's going on in Kingdom Hearts 1. It just wasn't given to us in like this of a in-your-face being spoken out loud type form. 
I don't even remember actually if it was in the original release of Kingdom Hearts one. It was just added in Final Mix. Yeah, it felt more like just a disconnected fairy tale in Kingdom yeah. Hearts one. Yeah, like it was the it was the disconnected fairy tale that justified the ending. Now it is a this is important lore, kids. Hey, it was yeah. kind of like the here's the message about light and darkness. Right, yeah. right. And the children and the children, I think, was always a bit of a being because it was Disney. They want to play it with the world made by children a little bit. But now we have this idea of the Keyblade War and Xehanort trying to recreate it. And it, this seems like a plausible idea of how the Keyblade War started, essentially, yeah. because even Xehanort says the Keyblades we wield, even he wields, is a Keyblade of Light. And then the second thing that pops out at me as well is that the final verse of, of this or the final part of it is a reprise of how Kingdom Hearts 1 ends. Yep. Like, I think that's what I was saying is like, it's a justification for how Kingdom Hearts 1 ends if you're really paying attention, which mm. like, and like, I feel like there's so many people that meme about Kingdom Hearts not making sense. And I'm like, no, it's all there. Pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down for an hour. Let me talk to you about it. Thanks for coming yes. to the podcast, by the way, folks. Yes. Yes. We appreciate you uh, sticking out with us. So, uh, yeah, Aqua considers that story she just heard. And then she sees an unverse helicoptering away and she probably should take care of that. She, she's actually thinks like, maybe I met that girl for a reason. Oof, shiny monster. Yeah. <laughs> Force of dealing with Mickey. Got Destiny's Embrace Keyblade. Okay. I'm just imagining an unverse shaped like a squirrel. And just like squirrel. <laughs> if there's anything going to be shaped like a squirrel, it's probably going to be a dream eater. <laughs> you tell me there isn't one. No, there are not squirrel dream eaters, actually. Shocking. <laughs> well, they didn't go to the world of up, so it wouldn't give you an advantage anyways. Valid. <laughs> so we get back to the gardens. We see a broken door to the reactor that allows Aqua to show up to find Tara at the same time as Ven. And what's that time again? Well, because once again, what we saw was a chunk of the Trinity armor. We're fighting that guy. and It basically goes the same. Yep. At this point, hopefully you have enough good commands that like Aqua can completely melt the Trinity armor with ease. Just area affect all its parts. Yeah. Like uh, Aqua has a really easy time with this fight, as I recall. Yeah, because the area effects just destroy it. And she kind of specializes in those. Also, I totally just like took a long time to level up and get a bunch of commands specifically because oh. I was farming for lucky strikes so I could get more commands easily. First place you get lucky strike uh, from the, what are they? Shards? Uh, Mandrakes. I meant, I meant the item call. Aren't they like shards, like hung green shard or whatever? I think it was abounding crystals. Crystal. It was crystals. Okay. Yeah. And also you, it's easier to get the ones that lead to once more and second chance here if you haven't. So it's a good time yeah. to catch up on that as well. Yeah, yeah. And the and there's a big courtyard and they uh, and like a patio right in front of the castle. Two zones which do pretty good spawn rates. You yeah, you can just like blast to get a bunch. Yeah, you can just go in and out really quickly with Aqua and just like get it all done really easily. So eat the Trinity armor, get the blade charge command style. Yay! Yeah, nice and early. Yep. Like everything else is really powerful for Aqua. Like, I actually don't think Aqua has a bad command style, really. Maybe Ghost Drive is kind of bad, but... No, not Ghost Drive. It was a Sky Climber? Sky Climber. Sky Climber is the one that's not that great. Oh, that one's a little bit awkward, yeah. Ghost Drive's a little bit weird because it's her flash step one, but I like it. Ghost Drive is actually way better on Riku and Dream Drop Distance, but... Oh, anyway, so yeah, so now yeah. we're just going to go through the same uncomfortable everyone argues scene again. Yeah, and so like, and that was pretty damn clear. Aqua doesn't understand anything that's happened. Not even like a, you don't understand what's going on. It's like, 
can someone please tell me what's going on? This is really exactly. messed up. Yeah, it's actually like, really interesting because Aqua at this point probably understands the least of the lore about the three. I, I would not say the lore. She doesn't understand these circumstances of all. Of them. Yeah. yeah. Like she she's here, heard weird things about Tara. She doesn't understand, but she sees it like enough being said that she can't just dismiss it. And Ben's just not listening to her. Yeah. And like she hasn't heard anything about why Ben's doing what he's doing. It doesn't make any sense to her. She's basically not seen him till now. Yeah, she's just going around cleaning things up, but she's not like plugged into the overall story quite yet. She's yeah. just trying to do what she was told and bring both Tara and Ven back home. And she doesn't yeah. really have too much beyond that. And unfortunately, because of her her hesitation, when she's accused of doing things with Master, she's all she could think to say is, well, we trust you, but it's what I was told to do, so I have to. Right. Yeah. Like, she isn't. I, th- I feel like at this point, her big one of the big things is that she is not like able to take things into her own hands to such a degree. She's still taking orders, mm-hmm. and because things are conflicting with what she understands, she's having a, a, a unfortunately a, relatively yeah. slow time catching up. Yeah, it's a bit of a crisis of conscience. I think like she thinks she knows what she has to do, but unfortunately, like it's conflicting with everything she thinks she knows about her friends. Yeah. And, and all she's rewarded for is Tara blows up at her and basically he's going off and seems to be acting continually strange. And then Ven just attacks her. Yeah. Yeah. I had a real, even though I'd already seen the scene, I had a real flash of anger at Ven here. But during Aqua's room. One, one interesting thing about this, I think, is that I'm wondering if this discord is yet another aspect of Xehanort's plan. That, no, it probably that is. He, he could not have taken over Tara if he was as connected to Ven and Aqua as he was at the beginning of the story? Well, it's kind of half and half. He wants him to still feel strong connections because he uses that anger of things happening to his friend against Tara at the end. He also doesn't want them to be an act of support through him. He wants Tara feeling isolated. Yeah. I don't know if he planned this specifically, but I do believe it turned out very well for him. Like he had stoked a lot of different doubts and... Xehanort slips them a sealed letter with the third circle of Mars or whatever it is. I'm sorry. God damn it, we can't make that reference yet. <laughs> anyway, receives a lifetime pass to Disney Town. <laughs> I'm sure you're really in the mood to go there. Yeah, that that's that's the booby prize right there, the anti-gift. No, I mean I'd argue what happens next is even more tone deaf and weird. Oh yeah, yeah. Like because unlike the other ones, which before the boss fight this happens. Yeah, Aqua encounters Merlin after the boss fight. Merlin, <laughs> stop inviting children into your house to look at your books. Is Aqua a child? I mean, like teens. Compared to Merlin, yeah. I just won't go up to any random any random uh, young woman and says, "Hey, come to my house. There's something to show you." I think I would be justifiably uh, based. But also, <laughs> I'm mean, a lot younger than Merlin. I the reason why I feel justified in saying Aqua's in her late teens at like at, at the oldest is because this is a shonen anime plot. Yeah. No characters that are going to be important in major are going to be older than 17. Well, oh, yeah, I so guess they North actually so 45. It's kind of like how Jotaro <laughs> looks like he's in his late twenties, early thirties, but he's what? Uh, 18. Well, I argue that just the Joe star genes be yeah, really <laughs> somewhere, some, somewhere in their genetic line is a, is a marble statue from ancient Greece. And it also helped <laughs> with the intellect. I thought thought that was the Pillar Men, though. Anyway, yeah, they're not Greek, but they're made of marble, kind of, (laughs) sort of. 
Made of rock. They're not Greek. Anyway, yeah, Aqua has no fucking clue what to say about this. But not only do we get the command board for the Winnie the Pooh level, what else does Merlin have in his house? The Inorts Report number three. I'm cool. I'm cool. Like Dave Silence reports to my favorite evil asshole comes by every few weeks and he, he has a newsletter. So, okay, I guess I got to read Xehanort's Report 3 at this point in time. Like you're mad. Oh, I'm so happy. In ancient times, no such buffers kept the larger world divided. There were no walls of light enclosing each smaller world the way they do today. Nothing prevented one from physically interfering with the next. At that time, the world was filled with light and a great many keyblade wielders. But without buffers... The worlds began to squabble over ownership of the light. You see, they learned of the Keyblade's true use. War broke out as each of the Keyblade wielders struggled to lay claim to an almighty entity known as Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts could be described as an aggregate of hearts. Worlds, too, have hearts, just like people. Each world's heart is concealed from sight, beyond a hidden door. By gathering all the hearts of all the worlds in a single place, one may complete Kingdom Hearts. Why is this in your house, Merlin? <laughs> I mean, Why? I feel like considering how casually he can travel between worlds, he's laughing at it. It's like, ha, huh, you think you need something special to travel. You just need to be terrifying like me. Yeah, like, so I think it, this is the point where I, like, fully have, like, in my mind, this big old conspiracy between Merlin, Fairy Godmother, who else is involved here? I keep, like, I know, th- all I know, Genie, like, there's... There is this like Chicken little. Di- there's like this cabal of Disney good guys that are actually like powers. in some big conspiracy with magical powers that are in some big conspiracy behind the scenes, and it worries me. Isn't Yen Maybe. Sid involved too? No, Yen Sid is Yen detached to the master. Keyblade world. Yeah, he's a Keyblade master. He doesn't need to worry okay. about else. This is like these are people that are doing some weird cult shit outside of the Keyblade stuff. Yeah, it's the Illumination Naughty. <laughs> no. No, no, absolutely not. not uh, completely unacceptable. I am deleting that. I'm not deleting <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Yen said he, re- he maybe he knew about it once, but he renounced it because he decided Keyblade was more awesome. Yeah, yeah, mm. maybe. Maybe like Yen Sid learned about it and then he's just like, mm, a Keyblade though. Isn't Yen Sid kind of friends with Merlin though? No. I don't, no, I don't I think there's no indication of that. Yeah. I, I, I could have sworn that he sent us to Merlin once or something like that. Did he send us to Merlin? Didn't he send us to Merlin in like Kingdom Hearts 2 or something like that? I forget. Oh, no, no. I think we just ended up. No, like Merlin was hanging out with all the Final Fantasy characters in, in, Ray okay. King, in Hollow Bastion. Yeah. In He's King. like, everyone loves my bear book. Yeah. And like, and that's the thing. Like Merlin has knows a lot more about like the Final Fantasy characters than he does about the Keyblade world. So. Mostly because he lives with the Final Fantasy character. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Speaking of like, I got. I do kind of want to ask right now is like, where's Leon and Yuffie and all of them at this point? They're, they're, they're um, the, game, the game. Like, well, I am kind of currently of the opinion that Kingdom Hearts doesn't really need Final Fantasy anymore. It is kind of weird that they're not in Radiant Garden at this point. Right. They came later. But they're the- from there. They're from there. And, and my understanding, my yeah. big understanding of timeline is there's only a year or two until the until Radiant Garden gets destroyed. Yeah, like they are from, they are they claim they are from this world, and they know their they know their king guy whose reputation shouldn't be allowed. 
So yeah. my understanding of the Final Fantasy characters has always been, and you, you can argue with me on this because I'm because uh, you know I think you guys know a little bit more about the lore than me. Is that my interpretation of the Final Fantasy characters has always been that their worlds act just like the Disney worlds, and so they came from their worlds. Oh, no, and that's all of not their it at stuff all. Got, and they got destroyed. No, no. Kingdom uh, Hearts okay. One is very explicit. Yeah. Okay. So, like, uh, Selfie, Waka, and Titus all live in the Destiny Islands area. That's just. Oh yeah, me. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, Leon, Yuffie, Aerith, uh, and Sid all came from Radiant Garden before. And possibly Radiant. Cloud. And possibly. Yeah, we don't like. Yeah. Cloud and Tifa. Cloud seems that Cloud seems no Radiant Garden and Tifa may not actually exist. So. Well, no, Tifa exists. No, they imply that at least the Marissa at least once this Tifa might be the counterpart to Sephiroth. That's Cloud's good side. Oh, no. What? Nomura what? <laughs> Nomura has anyway, a strange understanding like, of Final yeah. Fantasy VII. So, like, yeah, that's all That's all I'm saying. Like, is, um, even though I'm... Not enough belts. I am kind of of the opinion that, yeah, we don't really need these Final Fantasy characters anymore now that we have enough, like, actual characters that we care about. But it is it still kind of weird. Them. Yeah, it's, it's fun to have them, and I kind of I do miss yeah. it a little. Not it's, so much yeah. that they get destroyed things, but I do miss it. Yeah, my, my thought, my understanding of this, and you know, me, as I said, you can shoot this down. Was that essentially they were from somewhere else, and then adopted Radiant Garden as their home? So that's why they say we're from yeah. here. But I don't think that is the. Uh, the, I guess theoretically it could happen, but the story certainly doesn't mention it. They only ever describe it as their home. Yeah. And when once the memory returns of how Bash's original name, it returns to all of them. Yeah. Like it seems it seems to me to be that they are just from Radiant Garden. They are people that live there. Gotcha. Because like yeah, I, that, I guess knows? I can't really square that with with Cloud's uh I guess history, quote unquote, with Sephiroth and stuff like that. But can you enix that with his history? <laughs> God damn it. That was terrible. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. For you, that's a rare one. You can't cut it out. I'm you not cutting to, it out. Yeah. You have to leave in your shame. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yeah, I think. Oh, so I think, now uh, into the conspiracy. Yeah. We I completely think, forgot about Merlin again. I think. Oh, my I, God. I, he's I, tricking us. I, uh, I, I mean, I just. Whatever the case is, Merlin at least has had contact with Xehanort. And yes. is on good enough terms with Xehanort that Xehanort's just like, oh, yeah, here, have this whole report about the Keyblade War. I'm half convinced it's a newsletter he hands out to people to amuse himself. I would not be surprised. He's just like, I'm going to tell all sorts of people all across the world exactly what my plan is. And it's still going to work. <laughs> yep. I'm, so well, I'm only telling him one twelfth of my plans. So. Yep. And, and unfortunately, like, uh, Eric has saw it and picks it up and is just like. Huh? Fits him. That's a funny guy. Funny guy. Leonor couldn't have written this. This is he wrote, no, me no. That nice, he wrote me that nice apology letter. Yep, true. <laughs> but, wrote me that uh, nice so, apology letter, so we're solid. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Aqua makes it to the central square after this. Uh weird encounter with a creepy wizard. Oh, I, I kind of want to mention as well that I guess this is yet the, that report is yet more backup for the legend is about the Keyblade War. Oh yeah. I don't think it's a question at this point. Again, 
I, I said, I don't know your playthrough on Dream Drop Distance, but what, why are all the cutscenes optional again? Anyways, one of the first ones he actually filed describes the Keyblade world and the world full yeah, of yeah. where Kingdom Hearts was accepted. They didn't mention it in this version, I guess, but there was the, wasn't there the Pandora element in some of the previous versions as well? No, I don't think so. The Like, I thought, like, when after the Keyblade War was done, like, only hope was left and the children used it to recreate the world or something. Well, I mean, that's I think of something else. Like that's the that's the true light sleeps within darkness, uh, within the hearts of children. Like, yeah. So, like the small fragments of light within the hearts of children is in that story that the lady told us. It's just not in uh, Xehanort's report because Xehanort does not give a shit about kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. Small, he small fragments of light are in the hearts of children. Yep. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he doesn't care about that because he wants to remake the world in his own image, and that's mutually exclusive with that that ending. Yep. Has he even said what his plan is this time? He just kind of wants to see an Keyblade War. Yeah. And he, he kind of has a Komida view of saying the best lights when you defeat the darkness. So we need more darkness. Good pull. <laughs> Good pull. Wow! Like I say, like I say, I'm up to watching V3 with my uh, with my housemate now. So, yep, Matt, I still need to get you to finish Danganronpa two, and, yes, and then we and then need V3. to do three. Well, yeah, anime three first. Three. Yeah, anime three before uh, Danganronpa V3. It's important. Trust me. <laughs> anyway, we get Aqua versus Vanitas after this. It's oh, not yeah. nowhere. Vanitas yeah. is like I smell cutscenes. Yeah, Vanitas is really <laughs> pissed about all these cutscenes we've been having and. Probably about our conversation about Scrooge McDuck earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and we need, we, we're causing a lot of trouble here. Yeah. So he even just asked, by the way, can vent this fight yet? Now we really need to have have this, uh, have the, you know, whole kid discussion of could Scrooge McDuck v- beat Vanitas? You're yes. making him more powerful, man. <laughs> yes, he could, but let's not talk about it. Yeah. I mean... Listen, I will say the exchange is pretty funny because Vius is like, has Ventus learned to fight yet? Aqua says, what? I'm asking the questions. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yep. I just kind of like that, too. Like, they just coming out. The, the plan is literally to make Ventus gain experience. Yeah. But, I mean, so why is Vanitas trolling Aqua here? That's my one question. And even just even give that definition it's like I asked the questions because I'm going to win if we fight and then they fight for some reason. Yeah, I, I kind of think that a lot of it is scoping out Aqua before because I think he knows that he's going to have to kill Aqua. So I'm going to say, like, from this point on, I actually feel like Vanitas is a very different kind of foil for Aqua than he was for Ventus. And he's a and lot he- meaner to Aqua. Yeah, the only explanation we get close to is what he says after the fight, which explicitly in the cutscene, Aqua's exhausted, and Vanilla kind of does a quick kip up once he uh, is laying on the ground for a second. He's ready to go again, but yep. I kind of feel like Vanitas probably hates Terra and Aqua a lot, like because he's the darkness of Ventus. He kind of feels like, you know. Essentially, if Ventus likes those two and thinks about them as family, he's going to hate them because that's a positive emotion. And so basically he has to warp that into a negative emotion to be him. It's it's certainly not impossible, but Vanitas tries to (laughs) have such a weird, ironic detachment from all his emotions that it's hard to read how serious he's at points. Like, I definitely see the path, but he's so sarcastic and unflinchingly so about it. Like he even says like, that wasn't bad. I guess I can keep you around as a backup. 
Yeah, yeah. Like he says, it never hurts to have his backup as he fucks off into a poo gas portal. It's Wait, but honestly <laughs> implies that if it had been an easier fight, he would have killed Aqua and wouldn't have minded. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, Aqua is just kind of like, uh, what? And literally five seconds later, Ventus shows up. Ventus shows up completely unaware that he missed Venetus, which and is like now I'm like at this point, I'm like, yeah, OK, Aqua has a very good reason to tell Ben to go home. Yeah. By the way, we, we actually glossed over the fight. Most because Venetus fights the same and Aqua's large, long range spell list means she doesn't get his combo tricked as easily as Ven. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I this is a much easier fight for me than Ventus uh, against Venus. Just like for whatever reason, Aqua has an easier time because spells. Well, Ventus is built for moving in close and doing fast combos, so Venetus yeah. badly counters that. Aqua can use huge single spell combos, so you hit him, he'll still teleport, but you're not locked into combos, so you can move as long as you're expecting. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And by this time, Aqua has gotten her power ramp, so she's going to be the most oh, yeah. powerful of the characters from now on. Oh, yeah, she is she's so powerful she's, now. She's firing crawling Faragas in his face just to watch the delayed boom. Yep. Like at, at this point, you probably can even have a mega flare or two just for kicks. I think I actually got myself magic hour early just for fun. <laughs> One thing I like about this game is that uh, uh, mechanically is that I think a lot of the advanced spells are a lot of fun. They kind they of remind me of a lot of the I don't know if any of you ever played any of the Dissidia games, but no. they kind of remind me of Kefka's kind of trick spells mm. in Dissidia. I, so like, I mean, I know he I know he uses trick spells in uh, his raid, but so like um, he inverts it, he inverts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so uh, basically, like like Dissidia is kind of like it's a fighting uh, game, right? Yeah, well, it's kind of a fighting game, but it's very unique. But like in Kef in Dissidia, Kefka will have things like, oh, I'm going to cast a you know a blizzard spell at you and it looks like you know a, a piece of ice coming at you but then it splits into like 10 pieces right and, and goes ar- and goes around you but then they will all bounce into your back okay and you have to dodge them at that time instead of when you think that they're going to hit interesting you. that's that's definitely the action style similarity to his 14 moves where he, where he switches his tells on you and you have to know which means what yep and so, like, he has he has something like what you mentioned, the crawling Faraga, where, you know, like, he'll send a fireball along the ground and it will track them and stuff like that instead of just throwing the uh, fireball yeah. directly at you. Like, I in the Command Deck games, I love all the big flashy spells. I think they're a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm just Me. annoyed that they are, like, completely and totally eclipsed by bullshit like Thunder Surge and Belunga. Yeah. And I would argue also their cooldown time and usage is a little complicated and well, makes I mean, it hard to, for, for effective use all the time. Like, um, I, I know people love Time Slicer. I get why they do this because, like, it, they want things to be big and fun and flashy, but then they design encounters that do not allow you to do that. Like, none of the, like, none of these big flashy spells are good in boss fights, which frustrates the hell out of me. And most of them can be really risky in, in, in group fights, especially once tank toppers start appearing everywhere. So you just oh, yeah. cause those annoying rolling fireballs because they're because they were facing you and you didn't do enough damage. Right. Anyway. Wait, is that it? That's really all Aqua did in uh Radiant Garden? We we, yeah. we spent so much time like on random bullshit and <laughs> Yeah, that's wh- that's why like, we we did got that. A lot of time. We got a lot of time. Aqua was out of characters to meet. Yeah. Yeah, Didn't she at least have met Diz? No, they no wouldn't be met, a joke. No, no one should have met Ansem the Wise. That would not have been a good move. Well, yeah, especially because you, you know you have who was it? A, uh, Aeolus and Dylan. 
uh, guarding the gate. Like they wouldn't let anyone to see the wizard. I mean, the uh, I mean, King Ansem or whatever. They they weren't there for Aqua, were they? I don't recall them being there for Aqua. We don't even get that far. You basically you're the yeah. screen outside that, and you and you help Kyrie. Yeah, we do know that they're kind of the gate guards. They're the bouncers. So just Aqua never went there. Yep. So yeah. Oh well. He says basically just tells Ven to go away because she literally just saved him from a deadly encounter, and all he says that he's just still upset. Yeah. Like at this point, I'm kind of like, oh. Aqua's totally justified here. Aqua probably should have just told him about why, because I think that's one of Aqua's flaws is that she's like, she's trying well, to pull me, authority I got, I got here. This. Yeah, she's yeah. trying to pull authority here. Trust me, I'm not, she's not telling him why, but she's just saying, go home then. In part of it, she's slightly worried. A guy just teleported away. He was very dangerous to her. He could reappear any moment, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Her focus isn't there, and then she has concerns. Anyway, that's I guess that's it. That's all we got. Next time, Aqua faces off against the entrenched sexism of Disney. (laughs) The most terrifying villain yet to be seen. Yep. We're going to be canceling a few people next time or satyrs. People are satyrs, something like that. There's going to be more next week. A lot more. Like, we're not going to just fill it up with bullshit next week. There's going to be stuff. But anyways, thanks so much for listening in. And until next time, I'm Jared. I'm John. I'm Matt. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release. I'm I'm really sorry, but now I just have it in my mind that we have to like recreate Umi Neko with in, with uh with Disney characters now. Oh, you, oh, you better fucking believe we're going to be bringing up a lot of Kingdom Hearts shit when we're talking about when they cry. Uh, let's see so yeah so we sorry i'm actually trying to refocus there imagine how much we're actually going to use yeah (laughs) oh i'm planning on using a lot of it that was really good (laughs) so yeah I'm just thinking of that awful, uh, so Family Guy is usually awful, but I still think of that one uh, Disney anti-Semitism bit that they did once, and that Ugh. was actually pretty funny. I'm going to cut that. I'm cutting that. <laughs> I cu- I'm, gonna, Go I'm cutting all Family Guy phrase. You don't uh, understand. Yeah, that's fine. Sorry, I was actually just trying to recollect how messed up we got here.